It's great to see all of you here. I'm Haynes. I'm one of the pastors here at Martha Bowman, and we're really excited and glad that you're here. Uh, one thing, if you're new, you've never been here before, we have a free gift for you. Um, right over there, and it's that far wall, we have got a gift bag for you. We've just got some books we'd like to give you. So if you're new, feel free to pick one of those up. They're in the uh, festive Christmas bags, and uh, that's our gift to you. I did want to follow up one of the announcements uh, that Griff made earlier, just about inviting people during Advent. We really want to encourage all of us, starting with us as a staff, to all of us in this church, and challenging all of us. Let's really, let's be intentional about inviting somebody during this Christmas season. Christmas is really the best time of year to invite somebody to church. Um, just kind of, if you look at churches and attendance and all that, People are more open who usually don't go to church. Unchurched people are more open to coming during Christmas than any other time. They know that Christmas is about Jesus, whether they're a Christian or not. And so we want to take advantage of that. You know, we want to invite people, the unchurched people that we know, whether it's a family member for you, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, who you might know that doesn't know the Lord. This will be a great time of year to invite them to church. Um, after our service today, we have two more Advent Sundays, and then we've got our Christmas Eve service. So you've got three more opportunities to invite somebody and bring them here. So use that flyer we gave you in your bulletin, or you don't have to use that. You can just invite them. And so just encourage you with that. So, okay. We are continuing our series, Vintage Christmas. And what we're doing in this series is we are looking and studying uh, passages out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he lived hundreds of years before Jesus. But what's really cool about the book of Isaiah, even though he's way before Jesus, and he has several key passages that talk about the coming of Jesus and specifically the birth of Jesus. Isaiah, a lot of scholars call it the fifth gospel or the gospel of the Old Testament because it contains so many key passages about the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. And so we have been looking in that book. We started last week. We were in Isaiah 2, and today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read probably a somewhat familiar passage to some of you. If you are familiar with Handel's Messiah, um, we're reading one of the scriptures from that. So we're going to read our scripture for today. It's in your, printed in your bulletin, and it's also going to be up on the screen behind me. Let me read it to you. This is Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on 
and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you so much that you came to earth as a baby. Lord, we thank you that you left heaven, you left your glory, and came down to us to save us. And Lord, during this Christmas season, as we remember and we celebrate that, Lord, we ask that you would just transform us through and through. God, that you would bring heaven to earth, that your kingdom would be established among us like never before. God, as your word says, on earth as it is in heaven, let that be true here at Martha Bowman during Advent. Lord, we ask that you would come and teach us your word, that you would speak to us. Father, no one, nobody needs to hear anything from me, but Lord, we desperately need to hear from you, and so we ask you to speak to us. Lord, that you would speak through me and in spite of me, and Lord, anything that I say could fall to the ground like dust and be blown away, but you would speak. And Lord, we just declare, Jesus, that we love you. We love you so much, and Lord, I just want to say that I love you. Thank you, Lord, for saving a terrible sinner like me. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let me talk about what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 9, give you the context. So here in Isaiah 9, things are not going well for the nation of Israel. Things are going really badly. The Israelites, as they always tended to do, God had called them to love him and worship him only. And per usual, they were not doing that. They were always rebelling against the Lord. They were always sinning. They were worshiping other gods. And so when they did that, God would allow punishment to come upon them. He wouldn't cause it, but he would allow it to kind of get their attention. So at this point, the Assyrian army, the Assyrian empire is attacking and invading the nation of Israel at this point. And so like when it talks about in verse two, in the passage that we read, it talks about the land is full of darkness. It's just referring to the fact that they're under attack. The Israelites are getting killed. They're getting invaded. They're losing ground. Everything is just going down the tubes for them. And it's in the midst of this attack and the Assyrians invading that Isaiah gets this prophecy. He foretells about the coming Messiah hundreds of years after Isaiah is going to live and die, that there's going to be a child to be born, and he is going to be the Messiah and the Savior. So when it says in verse 6, unto us a child is born, it's referring to the fact that there is a future Messiah, that God is going to come to earth, that there is a Savior and a Deliverer coming for Israel and the people of God. And in verse 6, you know, it says, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is just talking about a day is coming when God, the Messiah, is going to be born. And he's going to deliver his people. Now, within that verse 6, that last phrase, Prince of Peace, that's what we're going to focus on. And that's what we are going to unpack today. So when Isaiah talks about it, Jesus, he says he's the Prince of Peace. What that means is that when Jesus would be born, which is what we remember and we celebrate during Advent, his birth was going to usher in God's peace into the world as never before. That God's peace, the peace of heaven, was going to be released and established in the earth with the birth of Jesus. It's not that God's peace hadn't existed before, but it was going to come in a new way and in more fullness than it ever had. So when it talks about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, that the peace of God being released through the birth of Jesus is a central component of Christmas, that the peace of God and that the peace of heaven would be released. This is such an essential component of the Christmas Advent message, that God's peace has come to earth and God's peace has been established. Now, for us, 
I think that's really good news because, for example, if you look at the world around us or you even look at your own life and I look at my life, we could really use some peace in the earth and in our lives. I mean, you look around the world today, things are not in great shape. We continue to have war and strife. We continue to see poverty. We continue to see people suffer under unjust governments. You know, we see things like modern-day slavery through sex trafficking. These are just examples. Our world is not doing great. But look at your own life. I look at my life. I'm sure we all have plenty of areas where we could use God's peace, whether it's hard circumstances, relationships, whatever's going on. You know, it could be for you, for example, that maybe your marriage is not doing too well, and you could really use Jesus to be the Prince of Peace during this time. Maybe you had a friend or a loved one who's gotten some type of medical diagnosis and things aren't good, and you need Jesus to be the Prince of Peace in that situation. You might have kids, and I have been told that there is no greater stressor than kids, and I don't have any yet, and so I don't know. I was not that for my parents, but everybody else's kids definitely are. But you might have a kid who's making bad decisions, acting out, rebelling, and you need Jesus to be the Prince of Peace in that. Maybe things are bad at work, you're worried about your finances, whatever it is. We can all think of situations and circumstances that we could use God's peace in. And the good news with Christmas is that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, that he came to give us his peace, that he came to establish peace on the earth like never before. And it's interesting to think about because Jesus' birth story, if you read it in the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' birth story is anything but peaceful. Um, there's really not a more unpeaceful, chaotic, stressful birth story that I could even come up with. And it's funny because it's in the midst of this chaos that the Prince of Peace comes. But when you unpack the birth story of Jesus and just see the chaos of it, it starts with Mary. Now, Mary, Jesus' mom, she was probably about 12 years old, give or take a year. I mean, she is a young girl. And that's who God picks to be the mother of the Son of God. Mary's a teenager. She's unwed. She's married to, or not, excuse me, she's engaged to Joseph, but she's not married yet. And the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and she conceives, and she's pregnant. Now, just imagine for Mary. She's young. She's a kid. She's pregnant. She's not married. And now Mary knows that the Holy Spirit put a child in her, but Mary can't really tell that to anybody because nobody's going to believe her. And just think about the whispers and the looks and the gossip that Mary dealt with for nine months. And think about how hard that would be, whatever age you are now. Think about that when you were 12. But this is what Mary dealt with. But you can't tell everybody, yeah, the Holy Spirit made me pregnant and I'm carrying the Son of God. Like, I mean, you can tell people that, but then they're going to commit you somewhere. I mean, you just, she just had to carry that. And then Joseph, her fiancé, Joseph was a really good guy. He figured the best um, kind of way to resolve it was, okay, let's just kind of end this relationship. We'll go our separate ways. But God tells Joseph, no, stick it out, stay with her, and he does. So Mary, for nine months, she's pregnant. She's dealing with just the stigma and kind of the looks and the gossip. But it must have been really cool, too. Um, you mothers can attest to this, the amazing experience it is when, you, when you're pregnant. And just imagine having that with God inside you. That's got to be cool, and that's got to be weird. So, But Mary comes almost to term. And then Mary and Joseph, they've got to take a road trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, 
Nazareth and Bethlehem, they are about 70 miles apart. And that's a long journey to make on foot when you are about 40 weeks pregnant. Mary maybe rode a donkey, maybe she rode a horse, but that's a long, dirty, dusty road you got to make. I mean, you're not even supposed to get on an airplane after 36 weeks. I'm pretty sure your doctor would say, don't ride a donkey at 40 weeks. But again, we're just kind of seeing how unpeaceful and how stressful this situation was, Jesus' birth. So they get to Bethlehem, and the reason they had to go to Bethlehem, by the way, it was the Roman Empire had said, we're taking up a census. And so just government, bureaucracy, red tape, regulations, ruining Mary and Joseph's life. I'm just going to throw that out there. And so they get to Bethlehem. There's no hotels to stay in. There's no motels. Joseph did not use Trivago. He really screwed up. They get to Bethlehem. There is a barn that they can stay in, and that's where Jesus is going to be born. So he's going to be born in this really dirty, smelly, disgusting place, not really where you'd want to have your baby, I don't think. Now, the thing is, once Jesus is born, things actually get more stressful and more unpeaceful. What I just described, that sounded awful. That was actually the easy part of Jesus' birth. Because once Jesus is born, a massive manhunt begins because Herod, who was the ruler of the area, was determined to kill Jesus. So Mary and Joseph have to go on the run. And they literally have to flee for their lives with a newborn. And they actually leave the country. They go to Egypt. So just imagine, you have a newborn, and then you've got to automatically leave the country because you're worried about someone killing your child. And Herod, who was a evil mass murderer, he kills all the babies in Bethlehem two years old and younger in the hopes of getting Jesus. So again, just the stress and the chaos and the lack of peace in this situation. Eventually, Mary and Joseph, things settle down. They can come back, but they can't go back home. They have to move to a new town, and then they can start to raise Jesus. So that's the story of Jesus being born. I don't think that's a really good way to bring a baby into the world unless you have to. Like, none of you are like, oh, that's exactly how I want my kids to be born. It's a super unbelievable, chaotic, stressful, unpeaceful birth story. Here's what I want you to see in this. In the midst of this chaotic, crazy story, that's when the Prince of Peace decided to make his debut. And it wasn't by accident that God came into the world in the midst of this unbelievably chaotic, stressful, unpeaceful situation, I think, to maybe make the point that God likes to show up in those kind of situations as the Prince of Peace. That God specializes in coming into our chaos, into our stress, and into those situations we have that are just awful and we feel like we're drowning, we're in the storms of life, and that's where he likes to show up as the Prince of Peace. So I just want to say to us here, if you have any area of your life that you're like, Lord, I need you to be the Prince of Peace today and in this season of life, just remember the birth of Jesus story and know that God specializes in showing up in situations like this, and he can and will show up in yours as well. And so... I want to just say today, I really think the Lord does want and his desire is to release his peace for those of you who need it. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever the hard situation is, if you're in a storm, if you're in a season where you're like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. I don't know how I'm going to make it till tomorrow. God wants you to know he wants you to give you his peace. And that's what he's here to do today. That's what he wants to do. Just like he did that Christmas morning when he was born, showing up as the Prince of Peace. That's what he wants to do in your life today. Now, the nature of God's peace, let me try to unpack this a little bit. 
it's really kind of a threefold nature to what his peace is like. And I would say this. First off, God wants us to have peace between him and us. There's this vertical aspect to the peace of God that he wants to have peace between him and us. And so what that means is God wants us to have right relationship with him. The Lord wants there to be nothing keeping us from him. There's no sin. There's nothing else we worship. There's nothing else we hold more dear than him, that we would, God's peace would flow between him and us. Secondly, God wants, Jesus wants his peace to just be established in our lives. Yes, God wants his peace to flow from him to us, but once we are his, God wants his peace to kind of envelop us and to surround us. That God would just hold us and surround us with his peace, particularly in those hard times. And thirdly, God's peace, Jesus wants his peace to flow from us to others. That we extend the peace of Jesus. And the reason we do that is because God has given us his peace we give that away to others. You know, the Bible says in the book of Romans, as much as it depends on you and me, live at peace with everyone. And so there is this aspect of God's peace that God gives it to us, and then we give it away as we need to. So that's the threefold nature of God's peace, that there would be peace between him and us, that his peace would rest on us, and his peace would flow from us. And again, as the Prince of Peace, we see those three things in the life of Jesus. We see Jesus embody that. Jesus had perfect peace in terms of his relationship with his father. There's nothing blocking that. And we see the peace of God rest on Jesus himself. If you read the story about when Jesus is on the boat and he's in that storm, the disciples think they're going to drown. They think the ship's going to wreck. And Jesus is sleeping in the middle of a sea storm because God's peace rested and enveloped Jesus. And then we see Jesus in all of his ministry extending God's peace to people through his preaching, the way he loved, the way he did miracles, whatever it was. Jesus embodied these three aspects of the peace of God. And we want to understand that's the nature of it. That yes, God wants peace between us and him. He wants his peace on us. And he wants his peace to flow from us. So that being the nature of God's peace, here's what I want to say. I think there's a couple of specific ways that God wants his peace to be released in um, this body and in this house today. And these are the three specific things I felt like the Lord was saying for us. And so if you fall into any one of these three categories, I really believe God wants to give you his peace, that you would know the reality of the Prince of Peace today in light of these three things. So number one, I think Jesus wants to release the peace of the cross today. Jesus wants to release the peace of the cross. What I mean is, if you're here and you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never put your faith and trust in him, you can do that today and know the peace of the cross that God wants to give everyone. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus and put your faith and trust in his sacrifice for your sins on the cross, you can do that today. And you can know the peace of God's cross. It's the greatest peace you'll ever know. Look, I'm just going to say this. All of us in here, we're all sinners. You are and so am I. And if we're honest, we're all really terrible sinners. But God's grace covers a multitude of sins, and God is rich in mercy. And Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And so if you've never put your faith and trust in that, you've never accepted Christ's sacrifice for you, you can know the peace of the cross today if you'll make that decision that you'll surrender your life and begin to live for him because that's what you're made for. 
whether you know it or not, whether you believe that or not, you were made for God. You were made to love and live for Jesus. And all you have to do is surrender your life to him and trust in the peace of the cross. The second way the Lord wants to release his peace today, I believe, is the peace of God's presence. The peace of God's presence. I mentioned some of you maybe feel like you are in kind of this hard, tumultuous time. You're in a rough season. Things are going bad. Maybe it's your marriage. might be your kids, work, life, some other aspect of life. Whatever it is, God wants you to know that he wants to give you the peace of his presence in those hard circumstances. That God wants you to know that same peace I mentioned about how Jesus was asleep in the boat in the middle of a storm on the sea. That God wants you to know that peace. You know, some of you are in circumstances and life situations where you're just filled with fear, worry, and anxiety about what's going on. You feel like you're in a storm, you're clinging for dear life, and you're like, Lord, I really need you to be the Prince of Peace for me today. And I think God wants to give you, if you're in that situation, the peace of his presence so you can be at rest. But here's the thing about the peace of God's presence. Us as human beings, all of us, we're just emotional people. Whether you're super emotional or maybe you're kind of more mild, we all are kind of centered on our emotion. But when we are in situations and circumstances where we feel worry, anxiety, stress, things like that, what we want is we want to feel at peace. We want those feelings of stress and worry and anxiety and all that to go, and we want to feel at peace. And I just want to say that that's not how it works with God. God's peace in the midst of the storm is not a feeling of peace, and it's not the absence of fear, worry, and anxiety. But what it is, it's that in the midst of those things, it's the knowledge and the comfort that God is with you and that he's good, and that he will take care of you. That's what God's peace is in his presence. It's not the absence of, I'm no longer feeling worried, I'm no longer anxious, I'm no longer fearful. That's not, you're going to feel those things. But what God's peace is in the midst of the storm is the knowledge that he's with you and that he's good and he will take care of you. Now, I'm not up here to say that when you're in a storm that everything's going to work out like you want it to. It may not. I'm not saying that everything's going to be great and you're going to be love the result. We live in a fallen, sinful world, and sometimes stuff happens that we don't like. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, you're going to have trouble in this world. But he says, I have overcome the world. And so if you're in that storm of life and you're struggling and things are going on, God wants you to know the peace of his presence, that he is with you and that he's good and that he will take care of you. And that despite what's going on, you are his favorite kid. And no matter the outcome, no matter what happens, you will have him with you. And that's all you need to know. God's answer to every bit of human weakness that we have is, that's okay, I'll be there. That's what God says to us every time. All of our weakness, he says, I'll be there. You'll be okay. You know, I remember when my mom died and the grief and the worry and just all of the terribleness I felt. Eventually that went away as you grieve with the Lord. But, you know, I, God's peace was not, oh, I don't feel bad that my mom died. It was, Lord, I don't even want to get out of bed. I feel so bad. But his peace was in the midst of that he was with me. And he is with you in the midst of the storm. So that's number two, the peace of God's presence. 
And number three, the peace that God wants to release is the peace that we give others. The peace that we give others. Some of you have some broken relationships and damaged relationships that you need to make right. That you need to take a step of restoration towards someone or a group of people. It might be, for example, maybe somewhere in your past somebody really sinned against you and did something that was really hard and hurtful. And I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm not trying to say that didn't happen. But even in the midst of that pain, you probably just need to forgive that person. You just need to say, okay, I'm going to let this go. It might be for you that you sin against somebody else, and you need to go to them and say, I'm, I need you to forgive me, and you need to make that right. It could be for you that you have a relationship with somebody that you, something happened, and you just wrote them off, and you said, I'm done with them. I'm never talking to them again. We're finished, and that's not how God operates because God never gives up on us no matter what, and you need to fix that relationship. It might be just for you. There might be somebody you just need to say, I'm sorry to. I can't tell you how many marriages would be better if couples could just say, I'm sorry. And so whatever it is, if you've got a broken or strained relationship, you need to take that step of restoration. And I want to say one more thing about uh, forgiving somebody if they sinned against you. Just follow this up real quick. Forgiveness, um, you know, I, just my opinion, I don't know that there's a more important topic in the Bible than the issue of forgiveness. And I just want to say, if you've really been sinned against, and some of you have, I mean, some very serious, deep wounds, and I'm not trying to make light of that. And to forgive somebody is not to say it didn't happen. It's not to say you ignore it. It's not to say that, oh, I just need to pretend that I'm okay. But forgiveness is letting it go and not demanding kind of repayment and wanting punishment for the person who hurt you. God always forgives you and me, and we've always got to forgive other people no matter what they do. It's not fun, it's not easy, but let me tell you this, unforgiveness is spiritual cancer, and it will eat you alive. I promise you. And I would say we're never more like Jesus than when we forgive. And so if you're in a place where you know there's somebody you need to forgive and you really don't want to do it, I get that. But understand this, don't say, oh, I'll forgive them once I feel like it. You'll never do it. You just got to make the choice to forgive. You will never feel like forgiving somebody who sinned against you. But always remember, no matter what I've done, what you've done, God always forgives us. And so if you've got some issues of unforgiveness today, I would really encourage you to go ahead and begin to deal with that and forgive them. It will eat you alive if you don't. So that's that. But I think those are the three ways that God wants to release his peace today. All right? He wants to release the peace of the cross, the peace of his presence. And for some of us, we need to extend his peace to others. And so if you fall into any one of those three categories, just to encourage you today, come before the Lord. We're going to have a time of response in just a minute. You might need to do it later today, this week, whatever. And just begin to do business with the Lord about that and just begin to walk through that and get that figured out. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace, and that's what he wants to release in us today. He wants to give to us. And so we want to follow Jesus' example and be people of peace. We want to receive his peace, and we want to give it away. And so, um, in just a second, the van's going to come up, and we're going to have a closing song. And we're going to open up the altar. If you want to come down and pray, I would encourage you to do that. You're welcome to stay at your seat, however it works for you. But if you need to come before the Lord, and you need His peace, just do that in whatever way is comfortable and best for you. But I do want to say this. Um, if you need God's peace today, really be 
proactive and seeking that and asking for it. Don't be passive. Don't say, oh, I'll get to it later. I'll, I'll try to remember down the road. You know, begin to deal with that stuff. Jesus wants to give you his peace, and you can have it today if you need it. Let me close with this. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Now, what's kind of interesting about this is when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, sometimes our English is not good at translating words out of the Greek. The New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And so, and in Greek, words have like 50 definitions and our English words, you know, we have like one. And so that word give in the Greek, it means so much more than just how we normally understand the word give. You know, it sounds like, God's handing us a piece of paper or something. But when it says that he gives us his peace, in the Greek, that word actually means abundantly and lavishly. And so when Jesus is telling us is that when he says, my peace I give to you, if you need God's peace today, God wants to overwhelm you with it. That he wants to lavishly give it to you. And whatever area you need it in, he wants you to have his peace, and all you got to do is ask for it. God gives abundantly every time he doesn't know how else to do it he is a lavish gift giver and so if you need his peace today you need jesus to be the prince of peace know that he wants to give you a lot of it